Awesome. Hey, it is good to see everyone this morning. It is a fun day with baptisms. I've gotten a chance to preach several times on Baptism Sunday. It is one of my favorite weekends uh, that we have here at the Vineyard. So uh, thanks again for those of you joining us online as well. We hope you were able to participate uh, in this uh, virtually uh, with us here too. Before we get to baptisms, what we want to do is we actually want to dive into some great stuff in the Gospel of Mark. Over the last few months here at the Vineyard, we've been working our way through uh, this early biography about Jesus and exploring how it gives us a unique window into who Jesus is and what Jesus came uh, to do. And particularly the Gospel of Mark emphasizes this theme of the kingdom of God and highlights how Jesus is a different kind of king than we might expect. Unlike the rulers of this world, uh, even in our day, that try to exert power to achieve their end goals, Here's how Jesus did it. Jesus accomplished his mission through self-sacrificial love. And he invites us to follow right in his footsteps. I want you to look again at Jesus' statement from Mark 8. And this is where we left off in our series a couple weeks ago. This is Mark 8, uh, 34 through 37. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll actually save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So, again, some pretty easy, light stuff, right? Like, how's that going for everybody these last couple of weeks? <laughs> Holy cow, like if anybody tries to tell you that like Christianity is this nice religion that really doesn't require anything, I don't know that they've ever actually read the Bible or like really investigated the person of Jesus. This call to follow Jesus is immensely costly. You know, to follow Jesus means that we're yielding our way to his way. It means letting go of our attempts to grab onto a good life and trusting him to give us that life that is beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. But it involves this process of dying to ourselves. This dying to ourselves can seem overwhelming and even impossible at times. That is until we realize that we aren't walking this path alone. Jesus has actually gone ahead of us. He's called the suffering servant. Jesus literally gave up his life on the cross for us, and that makes it possible for us to bear our crosses, whatever those might be in our various experiences of life. So this past week, we just had Ash Wednesday. We're starting into this season of Lent, and so in these weeks leading up to Easter, what we're going to be doing is reflecting on Jesus' journey to the cross. And as we do that, Here's what we want to do. We want to take in as much as all that we can about what Jesus' death means for us. Along those lines, I want to give you this quote I ran across recently from theologian N.T. Wright. It summarizes so much of what we want to talk about uh, this morning. N.T. Wright says, Jesus stood in the middle of history with his arms outstretched to the past and to the future, holding them together even though it killed him. Let's sink in for a moment. The journey to the cross begins with Jesus putting himself right in the middle 
right in the middle of the tension of what has been and what we hope for that will be, and he invites us to experience real life by coming to him right now. So with that in mind, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a Bible either in front of you, pull out your favorite electronic device, and turn to Mark chapter 14. This morning, we are going to read about the special meal that Jesus shared with his disciples the night before his crucifixion and explore what this vivid picture shows us of why Jesus died. Side note, if you came and you got communion, the little things when you came in, we're going to do that together towards the end of the message. So don't freak out like, oh my gosh, they forgot to do communion. No, we're going to do it later together. So this is Mark uh, chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And so he sent two of his disciples telling him, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. Verse 16, the disciples left, they went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were all saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, Jesus replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will uh, go just as it is written about him. Uh, But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, Jesus said, which is poured out for many. And truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, wow. Man, there is a ton in this short passage that we could explore, including Jesus uh, experiencing betrayal, all of this back and forth. We're going to save that betrayal piece for a later message in the series. But as I mentioned a moment ago, today where we want to go is we want to focus in on this last portion of the passage, hitting on this from a couple different angles. First of all, um, if you are a Bible nerd, I know we've got some Bible nerds in the audience here. If you are a Bible nerd, we're going to cover some really fun uh, different insights here of connecting several rich themes of theology that appear through the scriptures, all tying those together. But secondly, we're actually going to be immensely practical today as well. We're going to be looking at what Jesus' death means for us including this key point. Realize that one of the real big reasons why Jesus died, Jesus died so we wouldn't be stuck in our past or be without hope for the future. Would you read that aloud with me? Jesus died so that we wouldn't be stuck in our past 
or be without hope for the future. God, would you just help us even right now? God, we just need your help. Holy Spirit, come as we walk through this passage together. Amen. As N.T. Wright noted, Jesus had his arms outstretched to the past and to the future. Here's the first angle that we want to explore. Explore that Jesus reached to the past and gave brand new meaning to the Exodus and the Passover. Look again at how today's passage begins in verse 12. When the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Okay, what's this deal? The Passover, what's that all about? Passover was a meal that commemorated the defining moment in the history of the nation of Israel. After suffering as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, God miraculously delivered the Israelites with Moses leading them into the freedom. And here's a key element of that story. On the eve of their rescue from Egypt, each Israelite family brushed the blood of a sacrificial lamb over their doorways. And as judgment came to the land that night, death passed over them, these families that were covered by the blood. And so from that time forward, all these centuries, each spring, God's people would gather to eat this Passover meal, celebrating what God had done and what had taken place in the original Exodus, and asking God to intervene as their deliverer once again. Okay, so we think about our context in American culture. We've got some traditions similar to this. Like we think about Thanksgiving, but Passover goes way beyond, I think, a lot of what we experience here and now. Every element of the Passover meal was infused with deep symbolism. There was bread made without yeast. There was bitter herbs. There was roasted lamb. There was these different cups of wine that each related back to a different part of this Exodus story. And it was customary for someone to preside over this gathering. It's usually the husband or the head of the household. And it was their job to explain what each one of these elements of the Passover meant and um, explain those to those that were gathered to eat and drink together. So we get this picture in our mind. You know, again, translating back to Mark chapter 14, Jesus is the one presiding over this Passover meal. And for a good portion of the evening, everything was going as planned. Everything was unfolding as you would expect. But then Jesus took this prominent story and he made it intensely personal. Let's imagine the astonishment of the disciples in this scene as Jesus blessed the elements and he explained the symbolism of these different elements. That's all really normal. But then he started to talk about something different. Rather than referring to the, the bread of affliction in general, Jesus took the bread and he said to them, this is my body. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. Jesus was making a remarkable claim. Just as this meal was first observed the night before God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, now they were eating it on the eve of an even greater rescue. And this wasn't just a salvation that was like of uh, social and economic nature. As bad as those were, 
God was going to redeem all of humanity from the bondages of sin and even evil itself through Jesus' death on the cross. And it's important to note that Jesus didn't choose a random night to unveil this teaching to his disciples. He chose Passover, and he intentionally framed his upcoming death as the starting point of a brand new exodus. Jesus was saying, I am the ultimate Moses. I am leading the ultimate exodus. All the other deliverances, all the other sacrifices, everything else is pointing to me, Jesus says. My death is the climactic event toward which all history is moving. It's a pretty big claim, right? You know, Jesus put himself in the middle of this prominent story He made it intensely personal for him, but also for us. Because Jesus went to the cross, that means for you and I that we don't have to get stuck in our old ways of life anymore. We don't have to be weighed down by the guilt and the shame. Jesus' death has opened up a path of rescue for us. And so that is what we're marking today alongside these folks that are getting baptized today in so many different fashions. They are putting their trust in the fact that Jesus has dealt with their past. It's been buried in the ground just like he was, and they are being raised to a new life of freedom in and through Christ. The same thing is true when we celebrate and we take communion like we'll do towards the end of the message. We remember that we could never do enough to ever earn God's approval just on our own. Jesus did everything that was needed. He is our substitute. He is this perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So at this special meal, Jesus reached back to the past. Jesus also reached to the future, pointing to this promise of new creation. We see this most clearly in verse 25, where Jesus said, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So let me put this uh, statement in further context with this Passover meal. Again, like there's so much symbolism here. In our contemporary practice of what we call the Lord's Supper, typically we just have one cup. You know, we just take one drink of some juice or some wine. But historically, there were actually four cups, each with its own blessing and its own story to tell. And they represented these four I will statements that God gives all the way back in Exodus chapter 6. There was the cup of sanctification where God says, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. There was the cup of judgment where God says, I will deliver you from the Egyptians' bondage. There was the cup of redemption. God says, I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. And then there was the cup of praise. I will take you for my people and I will be your God. So again, looking back at Mark 14, how this is all unfolding with Jesus and his disciples, by the part that we read, Jesus and his disciples had already taken the first two cups as they ate the Passover meal. When we get to the end of the passage, it's the third cup 
that Jesus offers to his disciples. This cup of redemption. What about the fourth cup? Interestingly, it's quite possible that Jesus didn't drink that final cup. Instead, Jesus was waiting for a future day when he would drink that anew in the kingdom of God. At this key moment, Jesus was looking ahead. He was anticipating this time period when his kingdom would be experienced in all its fullness. Jesus was pointing forward to a day when everything would be made right again. And so this Passover meal, this Last Supper, it was foreshadowing the great banquet that would occur at the end of time. Here's what we see in the the very end of the Bible. When Jesus returns, he will gather his people from every corner of the earth, every tribe and tongue and every nation. He will bring us into this meal that he has prepared for us. And he, we will enjoy this eternally life-giving feast in his presence. Here's how the book of Revelation describes that in chapter 19. It says, Then the 24 elders, the four living beings, fell down, and they worshiped God, who was sitting on the throne. And then I heard, again, what sounded like the sound of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. They cried out, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. And she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. See what this is pointing towards? And then two chapters later, in Revelation 21, we read even more about what this new creation is going to be like. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. A new holy city, Jerusalem. And from that throne, we hear these words. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Man, that is good news, isn't it? (laughs) Folks, this is where this is all pointing towards. This is what Jesus is foreshadowing in this first meal this Last Supper, and he's pointing to this great meal, this great end at the end of the age, the promise of new creation, all things being made right again. That is what Jesus is pointing towards, and that's what his death and his resurrection secure for us. And when we align ourselves with that truth, it can fill us with tremendous hope, and it gives us perseverance to push forward until that very last day. So again, we're gonna take communion here towards the end of the service. This is another key reason why we do this in our practices as a church. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, not only do we remember that Jesus has taken care of our past, communion is also this foretaste, this first taste of the feast that is to come. 
It's this taste of the new age when all things are going to be made right, and it helps us to grasp onto a resolute hope for the future. Okay, that's some heady stuff. Let me just talk about like how practically, even this week, um, this has been making a difference in my life. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, been reflecting on this verse. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So as I've been thinking about this verse this week, um, so much pain, so much. You guys read the news like lately? <laughs> like, holy cow, there's so much going on in our world right now. Like, we need a rescue. <laughs> we need hope that goes beyond just what we can see right now. And I'm remembering how communion actually can be this powerful expression of spiritual warfare. I know I've needed that this week. I mean, think about it right now, like with the unfolding events going on in Ukraine and the invasion there. I know that's been weighing heavy on a bunch of people's hearts. There's this ongoing strife between different pockets of our society right here in the U.S. You know, there's different systems of injustice that are just perpetuated, going unchallenged, further crushing already vulnerable people right here. And then I think about this experience from just the other morning. Um, we got this little text string um, uh, that we use as a staff, and within an hour uh, on Wednesday morning, um, we had heard the news of deaths that had happened within three different families uh, of folks connected to our church and sorting through the possibility of two other close friends that were on the verge of dying. That's heavy, right? <laughs> so, like, how do you face stuff like that if you don't have a hope that goes beyond what you can see and hear right now. That's what we need. We need something that is gonna last beyond what we can see and taste and hear right in front of us. That is exactly what Jesus gives us. That is exactly what Jesus points us towards in this promise of the new creation that all will be made right in the end and that even right now we get to taste these powers of the future age and experience the blessing of God, even as we ache and wait for that to come in all of its fullness. And so I'm renewed to take communion today <laughs> as this like step of defiant confidence that all of the pain and the brokenness and the, <laughs> you know, that we see and we experience in life right now, this is not the end of the story. Jesus is conquering, he is the conquering king, he's going to make all things new, and we get to taste a little bit of that as we share this meal together right now. Maybe that's something for you to grasp onto yourself this morning. Okay, circling back to the quote we began today with. Jesus reaches to the past, Jesus reaches out to the future, and he stands in the middle of it all. And it's there that Jesus invites us into this new relationship, this relationship right now. In biblical language, Jesus welcomes us into this experience of the new covenant. Look again at verses 23 and 24. Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank from it. 
This is my blood of the covenant, Jesus said, which is poured out for many. So once again, Jesus uses a short phrase that is jam-packed with meaning, this time referring to this theme of covenant relationship. In the Bible, this story goes all the way back to the beginning. In the, in the book of Genesis, we read that God entered into a covenant with this man named Abraham, promising to bless him with good land and prosperity. In the book of Exodus, we read how God renewed this covenant at Mount Sinai after rescuing Israel, what we talked about earlier. You know, and he pledged to be their God and to make them his people. Moreover, this covenant was ratified with the blood of sacrifice. Exodus 24 says that Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Then hundreds of years passed. The people disobeyed, they went their own way, and yet God pursued them, promising that through, uh, promising this through the prophet Jeremiah. God was saying that the time is coming when he'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, where he'll put a law in their minds, write it on their hearts, that he will be their God, they will be his people, he will forgive their wickedness, and he will remember their sins no more. This is the promise of this new agreement that God is making and so when Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, again, it is a staggering claim. Jesus was crystal clear about his perspective, about his death on the cross. His death wasn't an accident. It wasn't forced upon him. No, he willingly went to the cross. It was the divinely appointed sacrifice by which this new covenant, this new agreement between God and humanity was ratified. Jesus willingly offered up his life in order to bring his people back into this renewed relationship with God. The writer of Hebrews describes this so succinctly in verse nine, or chapter nine, verse 15. It says, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The purpose was that those who are called should receive the promised inheritance of the age to come. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sin. This one verse so succinctly uh, restates many of the things that we've been talking about today. Yeah, look at the end. Christ died to set us free from the penalty of our sin. We don't have to stay stuck. We really can be forgiven. Our past can be dealt with because of what Jesus has done. We can be forgiven and set free. It says that we can receive the promised inheritance of the age to come. That's a fancy way to say that all, everything that belongs to Jesus is gonna eventually belong to us too. <laughs> it's all together. We get to share in everything of God's goodness his righteousness, his peace, his joy, all of these things of his kingdom. And somehow, we get to start experiencing some of those blessings right now. And then Hebrews 9 says that Jesus is the mediator of this brand new covenant. Being fully God and fully human, Jesus was able to be this intermediary that we need to reconcile us back to 
our creator. He is the one that makes it happen. And it sounds so simple, but it is so powerful when we grasp this truth, that through his death, Jesus redeems our past failure, and he gives us resolute, confident, defiant hope for the future. Again, as I've been thinking about this this week, taking these kind of big picture things, like weave through all of the Bible, like some heady stuff, but then I just think about story after story after story of how these truths that we read in the Bible get played out in the stories of real people that I know. And think about my own story. I was thinking this week about growing up in small town Iowa. It's like a 12, 13-year-old sitting in this small town Lutheran church, hearing these things about why Jesus came the purpose for Jesus' death, and even thinking about um, the, the story of this Last Supper and, and this bread and the wine and all of that meant of what Jesus had done with his death on the cross. I was thinking about uh, this classic hymn. It says, just as I am, <laughs> without one plea, but that thou blood, thy blood was shed for me. That's thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come, I come. And as I just was thinking back to that experience, you know, 35 years ago now, like, I'm still in. Like, this is still good news. That Jesus came to seek me, to find me. That I was like a sinner and I needed to be rescued. And this is really good news, even now. I think about other examples, sitting in my office or being up here and praying for people, being with folks that are overwhelmed with guilt and shame about things that they've done in their past. And at their core, they wonder, like, could God, like, could God really ever forgive me? Could I really be loved, like, to the core? And what a privilege it is to, like, help people embrace, yes, (laughs) that is exactly why Jesus came. So you wouldn't be stuck in that weight, under that weight of guilt and shame, but you could actually be forgiven and set free, and you could move forward in a brand new kind of life that is not bearing that boatload of weight behind you. I think about stories of facing loss, like the ones that have taken place this week, or people facing situations that don't look like they will ever change this side of heaven. Friends, like, you cannot fake your way through situations like that. <laughs> like, I sit with people. I've, I've been around folks. And, like, when the stuff hits the fan <laughs> and, like, life is crashing in, like, you either have a resolute hope that's going to get you through that or you don't. There's something about, like, where you just need to have this anchor that gets down deep to the subterranean level and helps you to hold on. I think about friends that uh, people I've sat with and been with in these experiences in the contrast of folks that have grasped on to this message of Jesus, to his hope, his forgiveness, the promise of him setting all things right in the end and comparing to folks that like right now don't have that hope. I mean, it's, it's shocking. And so for us today, 
Like we just need to consider like where we're at. You know, as Jesus reaches to the past, we think about our past. Like are there things that are hanging over our heads that as we turn to Jesus, we can have confidence like he has and he will take care of that. Or maybe uh, the things that you're thinking about that, that are, um, you know, about like looking ahead to the future. You know, when you um, are, are thinking about um, these different elements of like, how is this going to turn out? Like, God, why is there so much pain? Why are there so many things that are broken and messed up in this world? For you to grasp on to saying, there is a hope that supersedes everything that I see right now. Where are you at today? I think it's something that Jesus wants to give us as we consider just the, the truth of what he has come to do, this picture that we have of why he came to die, how it deals with our past, how it gives us hope for a future, and that we can partake of that in really practical ways right now. So along those lines, before we transition into celebrating baptism with folks, I want to invite us to take uh, communion together. And so uh, Mark 14 details this last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. Communion is this meal of remembrance that we get to enjoy as we gather together as worship. So if you're watching online, if you haven't already gathered some elements for communion, go ahead and do that. Um, Or if you're here in person, if you didn't grab those, we've got them right on the table uh, just outside uh, the auditorium doors. And as we prepare for communion, let me offer just two short little additional thoughts that go along with uh, with some of the things that we've been talking about today. First of all, one of the ways that we talk about communion is we talk about that communion is the family meal. As we gather as the family of God, this is the meal that we have together. Jesus said to his disciples, this is the blood of my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This is something that we do together, not only marking our union with Christ, but actually our common union with one another. It's interesting, historically, immediate families were the ones that would celebrate Passover together. But even at the Last Supper, this is another little twist that Jesus took. He gathered his closest friends together. And he said, you're my brothers. (laughs) You're my sisters. You're the ones that are part of God's family. Jesus transformed this meal. He expanded its meaning, pointing to the larger family, which we fittingly call the body of Christ. And so Jesus is saying, if you believe in my death, That conviction is so transforming that everyone else who also believes in this death is your brother or sister. (laughs) And so when you take the Lord's Supper, you're doing it with brothers and sisters. We're doing it in a family. One writer puts it this way. What binds us together is not common education or common race, common income levels or common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, anything of that sort. Christians come together because... They have all been loved by Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate, this common union that we have with God. Second thought is this, that Jesus says, take and eat. He says, take and drink. 
We're invited. We're not forced into identifying with Christ. There's a real choice to make in this reality, actually a whole life of choices, where we make this decision to align ourselves with Jesus in his kingdom. And so communion is this way to put into practice what Michael was talking about the other night at Ash Wednesday. Like during Lent, we want to make these practices that make more and more room for God in our lives. Communion is a way to take in more of God. Say, God, I just need more. Lord, would you come? Would you show me? Would you fill me? God, I want more of you in my life. So if you've got the elements here, take the little uh, wafer that's there. Let me walk through this uh, with us together. God, we thank you again for this day that we have. God, thank you for these moments that we can share together. God, I pray that, um, God, all that um, you have done on our behalf, Lord, that we'd be able to experience even right in this moment the way that this gets worked out. God, that as we take this bread, we remember that your body was broken. God, that you have offered yourself up willingly so that we could be renewed in our relationship with you. God, we take the bread and we remember what you have done. We also take the cup, and God, we remember, <clears throat> Jesus, that your, your very blood was shed on the cross so that we can know forgiveness, we can know freedom, and God, I just, I just grab onto this today, God, this resolute confidence, God, that we're going to drink this cup <laughs> at the end of the age when everything is made new. Lord, and so even in this moment, God, all the things that we see, that we hear around us that are so broken, so painful, we lay those before you and we say, come. We proclaim your death, Lord, until the day you come again. Let's take that together. Amen. So, communion is this family meal. This is one of the key ordinances that we go at together as the wider church. Another ordinance that we go at uh, together is the ordinance of baptism, where we welcome people into God's family. And so this morning, we are excited to do that uh, with a number of people taking that step. So if you are getting baptized today, why don't you go ahead and start to make your way up here and stand right up um, here on between me and the baptism. Awesome. And as they do that, we've got the vineyard kiddos coming in here as well. I want to read uh, to us uh, from this passage in Romans chapter 6 that uh, details some more wonderful things about what baptism is all about. So when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. 
For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ uh, was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over our lives. For we are no longer slaves to sin. When Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives to the glory of God. And so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So that's what you guys are going to do. So why don't we do this so that um, we actually get the camera. Um, You guys are all going to be famous. So come on here in the middle. Not only for the video, but also so that everybody here um, can see you. And what I'm going to do is actually walk you through um, uh, four different questions, okay? Four different questions that uh, historically, in different ways, that the church has asked folks as they take this step uh, to be baptized, okay? And so I'll uh, uh, say the question, and then at the end, if you agree with that, then say a nice, hearty, I do. Got it? Okay, here's the first question. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord and King, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life and grace? I do. Great job. Question number two. Do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his ways? Number three, do you confess your need for the forgiveness of sins and with a humble heart put your hope in God's mercy and your whole trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior? I do. Finally, and with his help, do you seek to follow Christ, becoming more and more like him until you see him face to face? I do. Fantastic. Would you join me in praying for these folks? And let's get ready to baptize them. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what this marks for these three and anybody else that maybe is going to take that step today. God, thank you that uh, they're crossing over from death to life. Lord, that they're uh, marking that they've been freed from slavery and they are set free to new life in Christ. God, we ask that as they go underneath these waters, they would experience a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit's power, of your supernatural love. God, and we just rejoice as a larger family of God just say, we welcome you. (laughs) We say yes and amen. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in them. We bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, these guys are going to head this way. Everybody else, why don't you go ahead and stand up? The band is going to lead us in um, some songs. Uh, We're going to have a video uh, feed that's going to be playing at the same time. You already can see that up there. Um, And so we're going to be able to celebrate and sing as these folks are taking this step. One other piece. Um, 
you know, these folks had already planned um, to be baptized today, uh, ahead of uh, this morning. Uh, but every time that we do baptisms here at the vineyard, we also make an opportunity that if you hadn't planned <laughs> to be baptized, but you want to take that step, like right in this moment, maybe as we're talking about all of what Jesus' death means for you and for I, like there's just this stirring of like, that's me. Like I need to take this step. Um, you can go ahead and just make your way over here. We've got some of our pastors uh, that would love to just talk to you for a moment. And then maybe that's a step that you want to be able to take. Okay, so you guys want to take it away? We're going to worship and we're going to celebrate with a big hoop and holler as these folks get baptized. <laughs> 